1: Welcome to the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. I'm Dan Feldman. I'm very glad to be joined today by author Jake Fisher, who wrote the book Built to Lose, how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. I definitely want to talk more to Jake about tanking. Uh, First, though, uh, you've also become a prominent NBA newsbreaker on top of all the big moves, and we are two podcast episodes uh, since our off-season superlatives of But the offseason isn't over. There are a few big (laughs) storylines still out there, and I wanted to dig into those uh, with you. Uh, So thank you for joining us, and uh, let's jump into it with uh, Damian Lillard, uh, still out there with the Trailblazers. His name has come up in a lot of trade rumors, talked that he's discontent. Is he going to ask out? Uh, What do you think? Does Damian Lillard begin the season in Portland?
2: Well, first of all, thank you for that kind introduction. Um, yeah, I, I think Dame's obviously the the big name and big piece that a lot of people around the NBA are, are keeping tabs on and hoping he will request a trade and become available. But you know, at this point, it, it does seem like he will at least be in training camp with Portland. Now, that could change, right? He's a he's a guy. He's a human. He's a he's just a regular person who bleeds like you and I do. And he could wake up one day from now until September 28th when training camp starts and, and just decide, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. But at this point there is a, there is an expectation around the NBA that he will at least try to give it a shot and, and try to work under Chauncey Billups and see what, you know, a, a new coach and a new staff, and at least a little bit different of a roster um, can do. But obviously he was on record in Vegas before team USA went to the, Tokyo Olympics and um, saying that the roster he just didn't feel was good enough and he came out publicly and vouched for Jason Kidd to be the head coach in Portland so he's obviously making moves that he never had previously right he's um, he's acting you know like a superstar is entitled to do and that's something we haven't really seen him do before so all that being said I think that doesn't discount um you know the chance that it does happen but at this point it does seem like he's going to stick around in Portland at least for the time being
1: Damian Lillard has talked about staying unlike any other start in the league, except for Bradley Beal who we're going to get to shortly uh I mean Damian Lillard has gone above and beyond this has not been the platitudes of oh yeah I know it's a business but I'm happy to be here there's been no couching it he's been very clear I'm so loyal to Portland I, he's positioned himself as different he's branded himself as different uh, he's, you know, he says things like, I'm not willing to sell myself out to win a championship. He just always emphasizes how he's different, how he's more loyal. He's content in Portland. The team was never great before. They had that run to the Western Conference Finals when the bracket aligned well. They're capable of advancing in the playoffs. This was never a great team. I'm not sure how much has changed uh, where I'm just struggling to get why all of a sudden is he taking a, a different tact? I know he wants to win. He wanted to win before when he was saying all these things about how loyal to Portland is. Do you have a sense of what's changed all of a sudden? I think, you
2: know, it's just a matter of he's now 30. And that's that's a that's a benchmark that I think players in this league look at. And it was 31 now. And um, you know, I, I was just saying to, to people all throughout Las Vegas, like, look at DeMar DeRozan, look at other guys. Like 32 is kind of the new 27 in the NBA right but um, you know I think that's a big number that 3-0 that players and agents and team executives they look at that and say oh was on the other side of 30 now and he looks at other stars teaming up and you know the super team era that we're in like he just players have not wanted to come join him in Portland, but players have certainly been reaching out to him left and right to come join them wherever he is. Right. So I think he's seeing where he stands on the precipice of, you know, being one of these top 10, maybe even top five players in the league, depending on, you know, I mean, when he drops 50 points in a game in the playoffs, right. It's kind of hard to argue that Dame's in that conversation. Um, You know, it's, it's, I think that's just what this is. Like players want to start to win at a certain point. Players look at Charles Barkley and don't want to be Charles Barkley, not not to, you know, smear Charles Barkley, because he's phenomenal at what he does on TV and had an obviously Hall of Fame, you know, was the best player at times on uh, that, that uh, dream team. But players want that ring. They want their legacy assured. And I think that's where this is all kind of stemming from.
1: I'm going to give you a theory. and I, I want to hear what you think of it. I, I think Damian Lillard still is loyal Portland I I think I've just heard it too many times from him to think he's completely changed I could be wrong right people and he's entitled to change his mind and say hey I've aged and I don't have the same outlook I did a few years ago if that's how he feels he's better off moving on he he doesn't owe it to Portland to stay just because previously he said he would Uh, that's not he's earned the right to to give a different opinion but my theory is he's still loyal but is growing discontent with losing and is just trying to find something different. I think he has a lot of people around him who are not who don't share that same loyalty to Portland, who don't share that same different mindset, uh, who want him to to make more noise, to move on, to do something because they are more tired of the status quo than he is. Not that he's not tired of it, and so he has all these voices in his room it. all the time. No. Of you gotta, Sorry. you gotta. It it. Oh yes, yeah. no second. I was cutting out. Yeah, you cut out for about 10 seconds, yeah. Okay, let me make a note of that. What was the last thing you heard? At this point, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm going to restart that. You can hear me fine now. Yeah, now I got you. Okay. I might um I'm going to try and restart this link to make sure it doesn't uh happen again. If it kicks you out, just click that same link and come back okay. in. We'll do. I don't want to run this theory by you and tell me what you think. I think Damian Lillard is still loyal to Portland uh, in a similar way to what he was before. I, I just heard too much from him too many times about how different he is to completely discount that. Of course, he's entitled to change his mind. People can evolve and grow. Maybe he has. Maybe his professional desires have changed. I'm not discounting that I could be wrong on this. But my theory is he's still loyal to Portland, but he has so many people around him. Who share the common superstar sensibility of, oh, you gotta force your hand. You gotta hold the organization accountable. You gotta demand a trade if they're not doing what you want. You gotta move on. You gotta get to a bigger market. And he's hearing this constantly. And so he's trying to find a way to do something different because he wants to win more than he has. And so the status quo isn't working. So he's trying to do something different. So it, it might be, oh, I'm gonna go to a reporter and go on the record with what coaches I want to just show that I'm not accepting this as status quo. Like us losing in the first round is not okay with me. I need to show it. Oh, I'm going to to rattle a little bit about wanting a trade uh, before my Supermax extension even kicks in. I just need to show how how much I want to move on. And I think maybe, this is my theory, that maybe that outpaces his actual desire to move on. That it's more so I want to create noise to show everybody uh, around me, to show the trailblazers especially, that I'm not content with where we're at.
2: Um, I see your theory, you know, I'll push back on it in that players like Dame and Bradley Beal, you know, I don't want to speak for them, but, but the word, the word you hear or the words you hear about those guys in those situations is that like, they don't want to be the quote unquote bad guy. They don't want to request a trade and, you know, lose all the goodwill they've, they've earned for being those loyal guys for being those not, not hometown, but, you know, homegrown stars. Um, to which I always push back and say, well, look at James Harden, right? Like James Harden basically lo- took a match and lit the whole Rockets franchise on fire. And um, during a peak during the peak of a pandemic, and then he gets traded to Brooklyn. And sure enough, within a couple of weeks, he's already being talked about as an MVP candidate again. So my, my pushback to just the thought on those guys being bad guys and not wanting to be the bad guy in a trade request, I think is silly, honestly, because we've seen now – if you just go somewhere new and you're and you're great, people will love you anyway. But I do think that bad guy element and not wanting to be the bad guy is real. And I do think that Dame would not be doing this, would not have done the things he's done this offseason if there wasn't a legitimate chance he wanted to, to depart. I, I really think so. And I think that um, – you know, these guys care about their reputation and perception in the the NBA is everything from superstars on down to video room guys. And I think that, you know, when you have this perception, this reputation of being a loyal homegrown star, like you don't want to mess with that until you really do. And I, 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 you know, Dame could stay for the rest of his career in Portland and this could, this could end up being a footnote just like Kobe wanted to go to Chicago or, or whatever it was, you know. But I really do think that this is a moment and this has been a moment for the last couple of months where he's realized the pressure that he can apply to the front office. Um, and I think there's also, you know, conflicting things about just how strong relationships there is between Neil O'Shea and other members of Portland and famed people and all that type of stuff. So I think this has just been them taking their opportunity. Really, I mean, maybe he, you're right in that he never had an idea to leave and never really d- does want to leave. That could be accurate, um, but I don't think, um, I don't think, I don't think he does this unless you know he really did, you know, he, he like. It was a situation where he's going to say like maybe Portland will call his bluff and he'll just have to make the bluff like he never thought it would happen. Kind of like if you take a rival job offer to your boss and say I'm going to leave if you don't give me a promotion, thinking uh, thinking you're just going to get the promotion. They say go leave. Like maybe that is what this is, but I, I disagree with that. I, I think this is the first time he really has entertained playing elsewhere.
1: So to the idea of being villains. I- I'd say that those players, if if Damian Lillard requests a trade from the Trailblazers, he deserves to be a villain in Portland. It would not make him a villain nationally. to know with Bradley Beal in Washington. Also, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Part of the reason those players are so beloved uh, by those fan bases is because they've been loyal. That loyalty turns out to be not genuine or fleeting, even. even though the player thought it was genuine. Uh, the way they talked about it was more permanent. I mean, especially Bradley Beal now. I mean, he says things like, you know, i die in a Wizards jersey if I have the choice. And then, oh, you're requesting a trade because the team's not good enough. Well, why didn't you see the, where the team was going to be? The, neither the Blazers, to me, nor the Wizards are in a surprising position. Uh, Damian Lillard is an awesome player. Bradley Beal is a very, very good player. Neither one is good enough to carry a even a, a reasonable roster way beyond where they are. Uh, they need a, a decent amount of help, and their teams are trying to get it. I think, uh, and they maybe haven't delivered as, as the player would hope. But Damian Lillard's uh, as as what you know kindly as we were talking about him earlier as a player, and I think he's a great player, great leader, everything you'd want in your top franchise player. He's not. I don't think he's one of the five best players in the NBA. You know, he's somewhere around a little bit lower than that, which is a great place to be, right? To be a top ten, top twelve ish player. That's awesome. That's incredible. But you can't be on that lower rung of that star status or that superstar status uh, and be expecting every year to be advancing deep in the playoffs. I don't think that's a a fair standard. The Blazers have paid the luxury tax in ways that a lot of teams haven't, uh, you know, without quite being in the midst of championship contention. They've, they've traded draft picks uh, at times to bring in immediate help. Like I think they're trying. uh, They just haven't quite gotten quite good enough, but they've been pretty good. They make the playoffs. Uh, I I see this as, as mostly successful.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and I think we're just in this this space in the NBA now where legacy and narrative are real. And it sucks, like, especially from my chair, right? Like, well, I'm just trying to cover this league honestly, and bring information until it's happening behind the scenes. But you know, sometimes you got to wage against a, a popular narrative to bring that truth and people push back on it because it's not what the headline is on Sports Center, or it's not what an owner or a general manager is saying uh, in their press conference. But, you know, that doesn't mean those people are necessarily being honest. Um, and I think, you know, we're just in this place in society at large, honestly, but in the NBA in particular, where every player, every coach, every agent, every executive is doing what they can to try to um, not everyone, but the majority I'll say are trying to do what they can, whether it just be by putting their head down and doing good work or by saying things when they have their press availabilities or by, you know, saying things to certain reporters that like they're trying to push, you know, the framework and the reputation, the perception, what we talked about earlier that they want in order to help further themselves on the court beyond basketball, what have you. So I think all that stuff is real. I think, you know, the thing we talk, I, I've talked about a lot, talking about my book, which I know we'll get to later. Um, but like the NBA is very, very little about what happens between forty-eight and zero on the clock. <laughs> like there's so much behind the scenes from just the actual basketball, from the practices to the traveling to the film work to diet and work in the in the fitness, you know, aspect of the gym, not the actual basketball aspect of the gym. Then you, you factor in all the other endorsement stuff and, you know, your investments and all these people coming in and trying to get a taste of what, of your money. Like all that being said, like, I just think it convolutes the picture here. And when you're a superstar like Damian Lillard, you just want to get to a situation that makes you uh, happier. Like
1: screw it. Why not? So here's a quote from Damian Lillard from 2019 about why players don't sign the Supermax extension, which he obviously did end up signing with the Trailblazers. I, said, I think people walk away from it because of the media and us like that. The outside influence. People talking about their legacy. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. People kind of fall into it. So they say it's not about the money. I want to win the championship, and I want to do this. The pressure of other people saying he needs to win. He should do this. He should do that and not be about the money. But I don't think just because you decide to stay and not pass up on that money, that don't mean you ain't trying to win it. When you're 42, 42 years old and your career over and you ain't won it anyway and you walked away from $60 million more than you got, they ain't even going to be talking about you then. The joke is going to be on you. Has his mindset changed or, or is he just outsmarting all of us because he got the Supermax extended and now he's going to get where he wants? Uh, that, that He's the guy who figured out, oh, you can just sign the Supermax. You don't need to use that to force a trade. You can get that and still get the trade. Is, it, is that where we're headed, where players are going to sign the Supermax? And it won't matter because in some ways it's a little bit absurd, isn't it? That he hasn't even played his first season on the Supermax, and that barely gets talked about, right? If he wants a trade, we're all just going to assume that the trailblazers will accommodate him. Uh, And if he doesn't, then he'll stay, but we're almost talking about him like he's a free agent, aren't we? Well, the trailblazers
2: will accommodate him if, if he requests a trade. And I think that's something that, uh, fans and people outside the league kind of overreact to. Well, he's under contract for a couple of years and that's not that's not how this will work. Like this is a business at the end of the day like I was just talking about and when you're Portland and you're and Portland hasn't had like we talked about earlier too. They haven't had success bringing stars to join Damian Lillard to Portland. So if Damian Lillard wants out, you're pretty screwed. And that's a situation where <laughs> I mean, like if if Damian Lillard leaves and Portland doesn't get back like a blue chip prospect, right? Like let's say it's this Ben Simmons package, which I guess will probably be a good segue into something else you probably want to talk about.
1: Yes, indeed.
2: Let's say let's say that's what that's what it does happen. Let's say it's Ben Simmons and Matisse Thybulle or Tyrese Maxey and a bunch of picks, right? And it's that and CJ McCollum. Like that team probably is not a playoff team. Like not a bona fide playoff team. They're gonna be in the mix for that 8 to 12, just like Sacramento and New Orleans and and Minnesota and Portland kind of is in right now, right? Like they're not – and let's say, you know, that package, that core, that group doesn't turn into, like, the best-case scenario. Portland's going to be set back years. And, sure, you could, you could say that's an argument as to why they wouldn't um, move him, but there's definite belief around the league that the Trailblazers are – Kind of up for sale, potentially going to be up for sale, whatever it is, and like if that's certainly the case, then you gotta clean, you gotta wipe your hands of the situation clean. Being that the longer Damon Lillard would be staying, quote unquote, in Portland, you know, wanting out, it's just a bad look for that franchise, and it's just it's a continuing headline day after day. That Damian Lillard no longer wants doesn't want to be in Portland. That's not good for the future of getting the next Damian Lillard to Portland in the first place and having him stay there long term anyway, right? So I, I I think that's why we're in the player empowerment era that we're in. Like superstars have realized this is the this is the the agency that they carry, this is the weight that their decisions and their words have. So I I I, I Push back on the people that say, like, they could just hold on to him if they want to. Like, Kyrie Irving wanted to get out of Cleveland while he had a couple years left on his deal, right? Or one year left, whatever it was. Like, they didn't have to trade him. They traded him. Houston didn't want to trade James Harden. They had a deal. I reported this at one point. Like, they had a deal on the table from Minnesota to get a first-round pick for P.J. Tucker back, I think, in the 2020 draft before last season. And they said no, because they wanted to keep PJ Tucker in efforts to keep James Harden and James Harden kept saying like, I don't really want to be here. And they kept <laughs> saying, no, we're going to do what we can to, to get a deal to get players around you that are going to like make you want to stay here. And they still end up trading James Harden, you know? So I, I just think that I don't even know where, where the, your question was or where I started here, but I'm just going to say like, if this does happen, like if Dame does decide, I, they're gonna move him. They just are. That's just how that's just how the business of the NBA has to work. And, and if they don't, it'll be a mistake. From something as small a scale as like Sam Hanke back in the day to also be a shill and plug my book again, like holding on to Jahlil Okafor and Nerlens Noel too long. Um, like same thing with Daniel. His value won't go lower, right? But like the longer it becomes a fiasco, the let the less good it is for that for that franchise and that organization.
1: What do you think it would take uh, to convince Damian Lillard to say, because it sounds like he's going to c- come back to the team uh, to start the year. Uh, I, I don't think this team's going to be much better. They short up uh, maybe their, their bench defense a little bit, uh, you know, with, with some minor signs, Co- Cody Zeller, Tony Snell, uh, Brandon Ben Macklemore. Like, I, I don't think this is a radically different team. Uh, I think Terry Stotts was a good coach, maybe had some shortcomings. Uh, for you can raise your ceiling with something new uh, getting in Chauncey Billups. Uh, but there was a pretty high bar that Terry Stotts set. So I, it's probably just going to any first time coach, probably going to be a downgrade there. I, I don't have the highest expectations, but what do you think it would take uh, to have Dame feeling good enough to continue on? Let's just not say not just for next season, but the following season.
2: Um, You know, I, I think it's just that, that path towards winning and, and feeling like he can, he can win there, which I, I don't want to speak for Dame, because I, I don't know what that would be. But I think it's something that um, – I, I just think he needs to feel like there's a chance to compete there. That's what, the, that's what I think this is all coming down to. And you know, that's why Terry Stotts ultimately got fired, right? Like, making the playoffs in the first round year after year after year is great for a certain degree but then like if you want more if you get to the western conference finals which like i know you said was a fluke and a lot of people
1: on the league say it was kind of fluky oh, too i didn't um, quite say it was a fluke i mean they they earned it i just maybe this means fluke maybe this is just semantics i don't think it was a fluke i wouldn't go that far i would just say uh them going to the western conference finals did not give me confidence at all that they'd be back to the western conference finals like they earned it once yeah. but they were and they weren't one, one of the best. right yeah.
2: so you know if he doesn't think you know, maybe Dame's thinking that now too. I mean, it's just kind of like you get one taste and you want more. Like you see Giannis running around the post game, you know, celebration, the debris of the confetti and whatnot. And he's telling everybody, hugging everybody. We're coming back. We're doing it again next year. And I think, you know, Dame, Dame is certainly not happy getting to the, I don't want to speak for him. Right. But Dame is certainly not happy just making the first rounders. Right. So if that's, I think that's what this all just comes down to. If he feels Portland gives him a shot to and, – and I do think he wants it to work in Portland. I think same with Bradley Beal in Washington. Like they want to win a championship there. But at a certain point, if, if, if you just realize and think that you can't do it, just like with any relationship, right? If you feel like this finally – this like isn't your person at the end of the day, you break up. Even if it isn't, even if it is amicable or you both kind of recognize it, whatever, like at a certain point, the breakup in most relationships is inevitable. And it's the same thing with NBA superstars. I, I forgot the staff off the top of my head, but for, for decades, you know, number one picks would typically uh, win the championship or the finals MVP would typically win the title with the team that they that drafted them. And that's just like very rarely the case now.
1: I mean, com- you know, uh, feeling like he can win in Portland, that's probably a good, vague way to put it. and we, we don't know exactly how he defines it. I feel like this is a solid team that, that can win, and I'd tell Dame and Bradley Beal, if you're looking at Giannis as your example, well, what one of the reasons Giannis was so happy is because he stayed in Milwaukee and overcame all the challenges and did it there. I'm not saying every player needs to follow that model, but you could tell, like, that meant something to Giannis to do that, and I think it would mean something to Dame, would mean something to Beal, and, you know, the... The counterexamples, Kevin Durant, and we'll always question, well, how much did his titles with the Warriors mean? And I question how much they meant to him. Did he uh, appreciate and enjoy them as much as he thought he would uh, because he he went that route? And I think he went to the Warriors for many reasons. I don't think he went there just to take an easy path to a ring, but it was an easier path to a ring. If you are doing that, I, I think it changes it. And so depending on what Damian Lillard is looking for... If the Trailblazers haven't met it yet, as a team that consistently gets to the playoffs, as a team that sometimes wins playoff series, if that's not enough, maybe this is just doomed to fail. And so doomed to fail uh, is going to be our transition into Ben Simmons and the 76ers. Uh, I, th- I think there is some split opinion about whether he'll be back to start this season. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're one of the people who's reported it and believes that he probably will be back to start the season. There are some people out there who think one way or another, a deal will get done before the season starts, uh, you know, it's August 24th. What What is uh, your confidence level right now of uh, where Ben Simmons will be to start next season?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely have reported that. And again, things could obviously change just like we talked about with Dame. But right now there's there's an expectation that Ben will be back in Philly. And I think it's very closely related to the Damian Lillard situation. Like it, it certainly seems like Philly's North star here is that they want to pair Joel Embiid with Damian Lillard. And I think that's the other context outside of that is like the Sixers are trying to trade Ben Simmons because they do not believe he is the second star that will help Joel Embiid reach the finals and win a championship, right? So that's the other important context here being that any trade package for Ben, I think, has to do two things. I think it has to convince Philly that um, whatever they're getting back is a better return and a better fit. For helping Joel Embiid make the finals, and I think they think that return has to be something they can flip around for Damian Lillard if and when Damian Lillard becomes available. So in that, with that regard, like if unless Dame requests a trade before before training camp, and unless some team gives some offer that Philly thinks can both make them better right now or make them just as good right now, but potentially with like more of a better fit, right? Um, that they can also then still have pieces back to go for Dame. I don't think Ben's going to get moved, and that's a complicated uh, math equation here where, like, you look at Minnesota or Sacramento. You know, Cleveland got mentioned at a certain point, I had interest like Toronto. I just uh, – I'm not sure if any of those teams can really bring an offer to the table outside of a three- or four-team-type framework that checks both those boxes for Philly. San Antonio is the one I think is the most yep. interesting – with DeJounte Murray and Lonnie Walker, uh, they're both considered to be pretty available back uh, around the around the draft. So maybe that's happening again, too. Um, but other than that, you know, at this point, and I don't know what Philly's interest when that would be. And I don't know if DeJounte Murray and Lonnie Walker are still technically available right now. If they were then, I would assume they still are now. Um, but that's just kind of the break, the general breakdown on the situation, I think.
1: Yeah, it's, it sounds like uh, Philly wants it all, right? They want a player who's just as good as Ben Simmons and fits better, but you probably can't have it all. You probably need to make a choice. And I, I get the idea of waiting for Damian Lillard. I think if you have any chance at all of securing Damian Lillard, that'd be fantastic. I think he and Bede would be awesome together, and uh, you could uh, fairly easily construct a supporting cast around them. Uh, even after if if you're going to use Ben Simmons and draft picks and some of the young players who are a little farther down the further down the rotation in Philly as that package, that could be an excellent, that could be a championship team, but you also run the risk of waiting around for a deal that never materializes. And I won't say wasting because the 76ers are going to be good this year, but not having the optimal championship chance this year, right? You want to have like the, the 76ers in theory could trade Ben Simmons for I'm just throwing out a name, Malcolm Brogdon, somebody like that, not quite as good, not the same high ceiling, but who would fit way better. And they could win a championship this year. Joel Embiid is that good. The rest of the supporting cast is in place. You take a step back in talent, get a step up in fit. Everything could come together with the right breaks. You could win a title. You don't want to shortcut that. Uh, so it, it is a tough decision for them of what to do. The other concern is this could really go off the rails. I don't get the sense that Ben Simmons wants to be back. It, at the end of last year, it definitely didn't sound like Joel and Beater Doc Rivers was itching to have Ben Simmons back. Uh, Simmons' value could drop. Uh, you know, He's been an excellent regular season player, uh, but he's been in uh, more welcoming situations before. What, what do you think it would be like if in training camp there's no deal and he's got to come back to, to the coach who said he's not sure whether Ben Simmons can be good enough? Uh, he's got to come back to the a superstar who threw him under the bus pointed to Ben Simmons, not dunking as the turning point in them losing. And, and then for those guys uh, to have to come back to a player that they, you know, uh, who, who, to some degree, at least uh, shut off communication with them. Wasn't really looking uh, to the 76ers for uh, how to, how to train, how to improve. Like, how do you think that's going to look if all those pieces have to come back together in the fall?
2: Listen, I think, Ben not being in close contact with Philly this summer shouldn't be that surprising if you haven't fallen in the situation being that. He never Doesn't that really make hard. it worse, though? You know I'm saying I don't think he never. I don't think he ever really has. Like, he, like, yeah. You know, Reichsman wrote a pretty great thing about it back at Fox Sports, like in the very end of that playoff run. Like each summer, they've never really been able to get him on the same page, and he he came back one year – with working out with his brother, and I remember, I think it was the 1920 season, if I remember correctly. Again, all the years blend together. There's a certain point in the last two, three years where I went down to Philly. I Think when when I was I was down there for uh, interview for my book, and like pregame, his brother was working him out on the court, and they were taking all these shots that like Ben Simmons does not take during a game. So like this shouldn't be. This isn't anything new, and I think it's only the only new aspect is that he doesn't want to be there anymore. And I wrote it at bleach report. Um, I think it was last week, two weeks ago, whenever I I did the Ben Simmons breakdown, I did like his representation is certainly reaching out to other teams and trying to gauge interest and trying to find a new home for him too. I think Philly would like to have him be elsewhere. I don't think the Sixers, those, the main players involved on the Philly side, like, I don't think they want him back, but they're also not just going to give him up for nothing. Like, they're not going to give him up for something below value. They're not going to give him up for something that doesn't make them better, or like I said earlier, like, keeps them at the same ceiling but with a better fit, if that makes sense. So, at this point, like, I just, I I don't know what's going to happen when September 28th rolls around. Like, There's certainly rumors out there, like Kendrick Perkins said out on ESPN, that, like, Maybe he won't even show up to camp. Maybe he won't even report. Um, But that's a situation different from the Damian Lillard situation we talked about earlier where I think Philly can kind of just move along and and go about their business if he doesn't show up. I mean, they have Joel Embiid. They've got Twice Harris. They've got Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tyrese Maxey, someone everyone in Philly is freaking out about how good of an offseason he had, right? Or Summer League and the videos popping up about him. He's been someone that they've been high on pretty much since they drafted him. So, like, I think they'll go about their business. But I think it's in – from my objective chair here covering the league, like, I think it's in Ben Simmons' best interest to go out there and perform his best and play his way into a different situation.
1: I think that would be for the best. But I mean, there's clearly, uh, you know – some of this is mental and um, how he approaches it. And that's why I say it's a, it's a bigger problem that this is the norm. Uh, there was, I think the hope should have been, oh, my goodness, he finally got exposed and he's going to have to reevaluate how he trains because he, he hasn't improved the way you'd want to see since he won Rookie of the Year. Uh, you know, this, I, Maybe level off is a little harsh, but it's not much better than that. So the hope was he, got, he would change things, not just keep doing the same things over and over, I do believe. He's very talented I, on a lot of teams in a lot of situations. I'd love to have him on my team and, and try to mold him, uh, but continuing to not be responsive or change how he's training. That's uh that hasn't been working. I, I doubt it works uh, this off season. So that's, that's one concern. Uh, I want to run a, a different theory by you. Uh, I guess we'll do this for all the guys. Here's my theory. I don't know if I believe this one or not, but here's my theory on Ben Simmons. I mean, the, you've reported on some of this, the, the outlandish con, or trade offers Daryl Morey has made. Maybe that's just his MO. But here's a theory. He's got a trade offer in his back pocket that he knows he'll do if it comes down to it as training camp's approaching. He wants more, obviously. If he, if he had a deal he know he'd do it, that deal would already be done. But a, a deal where he's happy enough to do it rather than deal with everything with training camp uh, and everybody coming back together. So in the meantime, he's just searching for it better and better Uh, but there's something there uh, where there's at least assurance that some trade will be made. And that's where the people who have, I know this isn't you exactly. So I think you're going to disagree with one, but the people have confidence a deal will happen before the season. Maybe that's where it's coming from. What do you think about that theory?
2: It's certainly possible. Daryl has the quote unquote offer in his back pocket. Um, But I mean, that I don't think is contrary to his past in Houston. I remember, the Jeremy Lin trade to the Lakers mm-hmm. was something that I think he had, kind of you know waiting for him if certain things happened, um, and I know in the in the big game free agent hunting days of those Rockets, Daryl would like kind of have trades lined up if they got Carmelo, if they got Dwight Howard, if they got you know all that type of stuff. So that's certainly possible. I do think the the outlandish offers are him. That's his MO. Like, I talked to someone with the Rockets who worked pretty closely under Daryl um, about this background in the draft, being like, what is Daryl doing? And this guy said to me, well, you know, that's kind of always what it, like, he like. He just wants to make offers, even like expecting the other team to be like, this is ridiculous. Because he just wants to start the conversation and set the, the parameters so far in the distance of, you know, an offer that is good for Philly. That when you like, if you ask someone for a hundred million dollars, knowing that they're only for you know anything, knowing that they're probably only going to willing to give you two to 10, well, their next offer is going to be 10, not two, right? Mm -hmm. Coming down from a hundred. So, I think that's kind of where the offers come from. And I also think in this Ben Simmons specific dynamic, like, I think holding a really high bar for him. Also did a good job in propping up his value a little bit and really setting the tone that like you're not just going to get him on a bargain right now. You're going to get Ben Simmons. If if you're trading for Ben Simmons, you're going to be getting and trading for uh, the guy who was the runner-up in Defensive Player of the Year, arguably the best perimeter defender, a multi-time All-Star who's 25 and under team control for the next four years. That's what they were trying to do. Uh, the
1: last player I want to talk to you about, uh, who's the, the star still hanging out there in the offseason is Bradley Beal. And, uh, you know, it seems uh, more likely that Bradley Beal is going to stay in Washington. This one seems like the quietest at this point. Um, but he is eligible for a contract extension in October. I think it'd be about four years, about $181 million. Uh, that's less than he could get if he waits it out, opts out and becomes a, a free agent in 2022. Uh, it's about as much as he could get. If he opts out and leaves, uh, if he leaves, his projected max would be about 179 million over four years, uh, so right about that 181. Not a huge difference there. Or if he wants to stay in Washington, he could opt out and stay for uh, about 242 million over five years. It'd be a somewhat similar salary, a little bit more over the first four years, and that fifth season at 55 million, uh, he could lock in, assuming the Wizards are are willing to offer that full max, and I kind of think they would be. Uh, do you think he's going to sign? his Contract extension in October.
2: Um, at this point, um, I think it's a situation he kind of has to wait for the summer, right? Am I wrong about that for it to it, get up? It,
1: so he'd be eligible to sign it in October,
2: but I think, I think it's a it, he's not eligible for the richest amount yet until after which you can sign. Like, I Trey Young signed his it's all this is all kind of convoluted too, where like Trey Young signed his. Deal and it got reported as $200 football when he can't really technically... Um,
1: so Beal, Beal's a little different because he's he's so old uh, there's no more supermax for him. He's uh, he's just going to hit the 10 years of experience and be eligible it's for 35% cap. of the cap anyway.
2: But um, No, I know what you're saying. Um, no, I think at this point like people do expect Bradley Beal to resign in Washington and be there for the long term. I mean, that's definitely the expectation around the league. Um, And I think when they made the Russell Westbrook deal and Brad stuck around, like I think that that wasn't – they bring in Spencer Dinwiddie, who's known to be close with Brad. They bring in KCP, who's known to be close to Brad. Like I think this summer reaffirmed that Bradley Beal is the franchise base of Washington. and I don't think that's going to be changing anytime soon.
1: So I, I do think there's a big difference between him signing the extension and him not even though it's tr- tricky because the larger money i think you know would be out there if he waits until sign free agency to sign a new contract that's how he can get that fifth year uh that's what it is kid, yeah 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 that, right
2: that's what i'm expecting yeah okay I, I don't think he'll sign the now. catch
1: is i think it'll be if, in the catch is what if you're the wizards and bradley Beal says yeah i plan to stay I'm just going to wait till free agency. I'm going to opt out. Like, don't trade me. Just keep me. I'm planning to stay. And then he could walk and He could change his mind, right? We're talking about Damian Lillard having a a change of heart of how he views things. You never know. I think it's very dangerous for the Wizards to keep him without the assurance. I think he is going to sign it. And I only say that because he signed his previous contract extension in a similar situation. Uh, Rather than waiting for the Supermax, it made all the sense in the world not to sign the extension then. And he did it because he wanted to show his loyalty to the Wizards. Uh, maybe he's not going to do that twice. Maybe he's like, you got me once. I'm not going to take a financially disadvantageous deal again. Or maybe disadvantageous is too strong. Not maximally advantageous deal again. Uh, but just because he set that precedent, I'm going to predict he will sign the extension. Uh, but let's say he doesn't and tells the Wizards he's, you know, plans to play it out but plans to re-sign and not to worry. If you're the Wizards, how do you feel about that because i don't see this as a great team i you know i see this is a pretty similar level team to last year i think uh, them getting off russell westbrook was excellent in terms of how old he is and how much money he has left But overall especially later in the year russ played pretty well for them he helped them so you're losing something there you're gaining depth i think you're getting up in a similar spot and i don't know how bradley beal is going to feel about that at the end of the year after playing through it uh, no matter what he's thinking now and so if I'm the Wizards, I might not even leave it up to Bradley Beal. But if you're the Wizards, he's not willing to sign the extension, but tells you he plans to resign, He just wants that extra $55 million in the fifth year. Not to worry. How are you feeling about it?
2: Well, they don't really have a say. Like, they can't make Bradley Beal sign that deal. If he wants to go into free agency, if he wants to go into the season without having this contract and even says to them, like, yeah, I have full intent on
1: re-signing. I mean. Well, they, they can they- trade him. Right, they don't. They don't need. Yeah, they but, could. They could trade him even if he wants to stay. And I, I think, I think if he's he not will. willing to sign the extension, I, I'd be at least considering it.
2: That's true, but they. I mean, they certainly haven't considered it yet at all, and I don't think they will. I mean,
1: but he's never turned down the extension before, right? This would be a new situation because last time he signed the extension earlier than it made. sense. I thought this is where we headed last time. For he sure, was he gonna was going to tell I, him, and yeah. right, so they they avoided this whole conundrum. I
2: think uh, what you're saying, but I, I just don't like when golden state for example called um called washington and said hey is Brad available they said no and that's going to be the case until Bradley Beal comes directly to them and says don't want to be here anymore trade me so i don't think i don't think washington is going to look to move him even if he says you know i'm i'm not resigning here like they have Full, they, they made all their moves this summer and continue to operate expecting Bradley Beal to be the franchise face of the Wizards for a long time here moving forward. And even if he doesn't accept this deal right now, I think it would be with the, like we talked about, with the idea of getting that, that extra fifth year, that more money um, next summer. But even if, that, even if that's a risk, like the Wizards are not moving him moving un- until I, until he says, I want to be out of here. Like That's just not going to happen.
1: Yeah, it's scary. I mean, that might be the right move. It's hard to get a player like Bradley Beal, but it's scary just to keep him into unrestricted free agency uh, where anything can happen. You might get no return and obviously trade him out. You'd get quite a bit because he's a good player. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about three players who <laughs> drafted in the, in the lottery who are still with their original teams, but might not be, you know, for long. Um, the, you know, you can go down the spectrum from Simmons to Lillard to, to Beal in your confidence level of how long they'll be with their team. Your, your book chronicled the, I'll say, Sam Hinkey era. Obviously, it wasn't just about the 76ers, but that era of the NBA and how teams approached it. Uh, with us and you know being fully into this player empowerment movement where, hey, like you said, if, if Davey Lillard wants to get traded, the Trailblazers are going to accommodate him. Uh, when, when players can seemingly just change teams regardless of where they currently are and what their contract status is, is the tanking era over? Is it not that important to secure a player, you know, to get him, to draft him, to have his rights? Because if you don't do the right things anyway, uh, to keep him happy, you, you can just lose him. Uh, you know, you can be the team that gets him. Uh, is, is it less important now? And there are all kinds of other changes too, right? We've got the, uh, the, the play-in games. We've got lottery reform. Uh, does your, your book, which, uh, you know, I read, I, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed the, you know, how deeply it got into all these different team situations and how uh, tanking really took over the league and changed the conversation uh, uh, about the league is, does your book chronicle an era that no longer exists or are we still in it? Um,
2: that's a good question. I think the era that my book chronicled certainly ended. And I think it was built around that 2014 class that was considered to be the best class since 2003. And, um, but I think whenever um, – and in a you know, lottery form and the play-in tournament certainly have played a factor in teams, um, in teams um, you know, no longer chasing the number one pick as aggressively anymore. But I do think whenever a, a draft class coming up in the future is going to be, you know – apparently loaded with future Hall of Famers, just like this 2021 class was. Like, I think tanking is going to happen. Like, OKC and Houston and Orlando and Detroit, they did things this past season far more brazen than Sam Hinckley ever did in Philadelphia, sending guys home for half the year and openly resting guys. Like, that was not something Philly ever did. They just ran out. A really young, inexperienced, intentionally poor roster, hoping those players would simultaneously, you know, lose games while also de- developing, like Robert Covington and TJ McConnell and Jeremy Grant and Rashawn Holmes and Christian Wood. Um, but I think when there's another draft coming up that's supposed to have five to six type guys that you know, any team would want to get a hold of, like the Magic are thrilled about Jalen Suggs, right? So I think. Anytime a draft like that comes up, especially with small market teams, it's going to be – it's going to exist. And what the Thunder are doing right now is, you know, the nth degree of what Sam Hinckley was doing. And I think, you know, that's just kind of the nature of the league. Like if you're not the Lakers, if you're not New York, if you're not Miami, like the best – the only way to get these superstars and the only way to compete for a title like we've been talking about throughout all this with Dame and Ben and Brad – is to have superstars. like The most direct route to get them is through the draft, and if you get them through the draft, if you get the right guy, if you scout successfully and take the right player, you get them for team control for upwards of nine years. So I think that's never going to go away.
1: Why do you think uh, there's not the same conversation around what the Thunder are doing as there was around the 76ers and the process? Uh, Is it because the... I think the main one is because the process happened first, so it kind of uh, normalized a little bit. I also think Oklahoma City is not the major market;
2: Philadelphia
1: mm-hmm. is. Uh, but is is there anything else you, you'd put in there?
2: Um, I would agree. The market size is a thing, I and mean, Philly's supposed to be when when the league uh, you know, had the lockout and um, you know tore up its collective bargaining agreement and and, and interest, revenue sharing. Like Philly's supposed to be a team that pays into that, and. Um, you know, they're also the third most winning franchise and playoff wins and blah, blah, blah. Like they're supposed to be one of the one of the teams in the league, even though they really haven't been a player in free agency like I was just talking about. They're supposed to be in theory. And I think the other aspect of OKC, especially this last year, because last year was the first year of their, of their you know tanking, rebuilding effort, right? They, they, they went into the playoffs with Chris Paul in 2020. Last year was a COVID season, right? And I think one of the, the factors that ultimately did Sam Hinckley in um, in Philadelphia was rival ownership groups were complaining to the league saying that their gate revenue was falling when Philly came into town. And there was no gate revenue really for the much for the majority of this past season, right? When the Thunder were going to Phoenix or mm-hmm. San Antonio or um, Milwaukee or Orlando or Detroit, any team that really is relying on, you know, those opposing stars to come bring some, some – butts into the seats like that wasn't really an issue this year so we'll see I mean that was certainly a talking point among people I talked to in the league in Vegas people were wondering why the NBA hasn't necessarily given attention to OKC like they did with Philly. so who knows maybe maybe, uh, that will be something that comes to a head right now but also the fact that Sam Presti and the Thunder have been Um, you know, a perennial playoff team for for almost a decade at this point, honestly, before they did this, Um, and and that Presti has a track record um, and he is someone that he's so well-spoken and he's really, really dexterous at speaking to the media. Um, He doesn't do it often, but when he does hold a press conference, I mean, he answers every question and then some. He, like, combats a negative narrative before it even is presented to him, I think that's something that Sam Hinkey never really did, and it's something that he regrets. Not necessarily regrets, but looks back on and recognizes was a weakness of his. So I think all those factors are why the Thunder haven't you know, blown up to that degree yet as a storyline. But all that being said, the longer this
1: continues, it certainly could. I think the most misunderstood thing about tanking is that it rarely, and this is where Sam Hinkey changed things, it is rarely a thing a team sets out to do before the season. So Sam hinkey went way above and beyond with a multi-year plan uh, to tank. And who knows if he were in charge of exactly how long he would have wanted to go down that path or or what his exact benchmarks were for pivoting I- into building up a winner. Uh, but he had a long-term vision of tanking, and you can see the seeds of that in Oklahoma City, but we'll see where they go, like you said, especially as you know this pressure to, to fill attendance around the league changes as we come out of this pandemic. Um, but I think that's the fundamental thing is that most teams that tank, because of competitiveness and uh, different incentives, they go into the year trying to win, and teams say, oh, no, we're not winning. Our team is bad. What difference does it make in an 82-game season whether we win uh, 33 games or 23? At this point, if 33s are sailing, we might as well just start trying to tank, trying to get a better pick. And so I, I think that's where you need to attack the solutions. Everybody's trying to fix tanking by preventing the next process when that almost never happens. Uh, to me, you need to change the incentives for the teams that are, are stuck midway through the season and say, oh, well, we stink, we might as well throw in the towel because I don't think it's good for the league to have so many games that are bad product. So my idea for fixing tanking, and you can play around with the numbers and w- when you turn the key and, and exactly how you weight everything, but in general, you give teams lottery credit for every game they lose early in the season under the idea that, hey, you're probably trying to win. And then late in the year, maybe it's after you're eliminated from the playoffs. Maybe it's after a certain date, something like that. You get more lottery credit, more lottery odds uh, based on every game you win. So if you're really throwing in the towel early, I don't think you're going to be able to just turn around and win late. I think you're going to have a, a bad culture and miserable players and m- maybe even not the quality of, of roster if you're going that route. I don't think like teams could easily manipulate this the way they could easily manipulate losing all season. I don't think it's that hard to lose all season if that's truly your organizational goal. It might be hard to have the very worst record, uh, but to choose to be in the bottom three or four records, you can probably do it. So what do you think of that plan for fixing tanking where where it's too full for getting lottery outs? One, it's you get credit for losing early and then two, you get credit for winning late.
2: I think it's smart, but one thing we got to keep in mind here in terms of changing the fabric of the league, like, it's got to be a simple concept and that's something that the league is conscious of in terms of a communicating it to the fans but also b communicating it to the people inside the league like look at the, look at the plan tournament this year which was in my opinion i think the ratings bear this out too like i think it was an abject success and it was something that a lot of people struggled to to understand the whole 7 versus 8 8 versus 9 9 10 dynamic was like Really not that hard, but a lot of people re- couldn't couldn't get behind it um, at first, and they, they needed to see it happen before they really understood it. So doing something like that, splitting up the season, doing a thing where, like, everyone's record holds at a certain point and then you go into a play-in type environment, like, I think it's smart and great, but I don't know how plausible it is to actually exact it versus, like, the, I mean, the league kicked around so many ideas in 2014 when this first got brought up during the, the summer after Sam Hinkie's first season, when uh, the, the, the owners, the, go, the governor's meetings happened, like they were kicking around ideas and the GM's calls, like they were kicking around Mike Aaron's wheel concept and a a, 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 a tournament type concept for the number one pick and other things like, The idea in 2017 that got passed that ultimately happened in 2019 in the Zion draft and we still have now, smoothing the odds out, flattening the odds, whatever you want to call it, like that was the simplest tweak they could possibly do, right? All they did was just add a fourth drawing and lower the odds. And I think to me, like the only way to truly get rid of tanking. Is to completely detach your record from your draft position, and that's the only way to deal it. Because no matter what you do, whether you, what, what 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 you just pitched, or if it's like a tournament at the end of the season with all the non-playoff, like someone's going to be losing games on purpose to position their draft, uh, you know, position. If there isn't, if there is some type of way that you can control it. And I think the only way to do that is to get rid of the of of how your record is dependent on that. So that would be a wheel type concept. Maybe that is, you know, just bringing, uh, getting rid of the draft altogether and having some type of like open free agency rookie type whatever. I don't know, but I think as long as some your record and your where you stand on the standings impacts your draft positioning, there's going to be a team because, like you said. Not typically is it every team These teams set out from the year, from the year, you know, starting point to be bad. It's Detroit, you know, um, waving Blake Griffin or the Magic, realizing they're not that good and trading Vucevic and Forney and Aaron Gordon and all the Rockets, you know, moving on from James Harden. Those are the teams that typically end up doing it. So those teams, year after year after year, when they recognize we're not in it, they're going to do what they can to manipulate their record to get better draft position.
1: So you're absolutely right that my proposal uh, lacks simplicity. No question about that. That is a drawback of it. And you are right that as long as you benefit in the draft from losing, there'll be times when teams want to lose. I also think that's good to reward the bad teams in the sense. Like, I, th- I think it's good for the league yeah. to have some yeah, hope, right? If you're losing, you get the hope uh, I think of a higher good. draft pick. Um, and so there's something there. So yes, that is the best way to el- eliminate tanking. Is there a proposal you like, though, that you think would just be best for the league in general. As a way to limit tanking, maybe you think we're fine as we are or you know, a way to limit tanking or or uh would you be in favor of just getting rid of, of tanking completely by divorcing it from yeah. from your record uh draft position?
2: I think there's a really good argument to be made that the league is at its healthiest when all 30 teams feel like they've got a shot to win every single night and therefore their fans go to the arena thinking they got a chance to win and every eight seed thinks they can beat the one seed and blah, 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 right? So in that scenario, like if the draft is just a random occurrence or the order of it is random like the wheel concept, I really do think the wheel is the best way to do it. I think if every single team was just going to draft – and the wheel's interesting being that you would still have a lottery component where, you know, it would be, it would shift in buckets. You'd be drafting one through five, one year, and then you'd be drafting 25 through 30, the next, and then six through 10, the next, and then 20 through 25, the next, that type of rotation. And each five pods would still have a lottery in that top. But you at least, you would at least know, no matter what we're doing this year, we're getting a top five pick. No matter what we're doing next year, we're going to be getting a bottom five pick. And what we're doing year three, we're going to be picking six through ten. Like if that's where the league is at, then you've got no choice but to just put out your best product, right? So I think that's the only way to eliminate taking. But to your point also, I don't have a problem with taking at all. I think <laughs> what Houston did, look at it's kind of like a cheat code. Like they're potentially set up to be somewhere in the playing tournament picture in the next you know, two years, so like what would what would a better alternative have been? I think the way the draft works is fun. I think it's hilarious that the fate of these two billion dollar organizations come down to ping pong balls. I think the draft is such a fascinating intersection of players being available for trade right before for agency, teams having different agendas trying to get better now, trying to get better for the future, trying to take you know a player that has the highest upside or a player that can help you in the playoff picture right now. Like, I think it's great as it is. I have no qualms with it at all, but if you do want to get rid of tanking, I think the wheel's the best scenario.
1: Well, there you go. From the man who wrote the book literally on tanking, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever, uh, who's writing the unfolding sagas about Damian Lillard, Ben Simmons, Bradley Bill, Bleacher <laughs> Report, talking about them at Halftime Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Jake L. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Jake, thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you, man. And uh, it's been a blast watching you with uh, PBT from our, you know, days hanging around in the Boston locker room. So keep doing your thing too, man.
0: Dietz Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's
1: only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.